this has been a fun series, and we've had a lot of good uh, uh, folks sending emails and phone calls and all that stuff. And so that's it's excellent when we find an area where folks are struggling and need to hear from God. And so it's always exciting um, for that. We've gone through a lot of a lot of CDs and uh, listening online and all that stuff. So I appreciate that. It's all good good stuff. All right. So today we wrap up the danger zone. And I kind of baited you last week a little bit, talked about God's power in your life and how that works. And so let me just kind of set the stage and we'll talk a little bit about the last few weeks and then we'll jump into today's lesson. You know, I think that from a spiritual standpoint, the enemy wants to deceive us. Would you agree with that? God wants to transform us through our mind. The enemy wants to use our mind to deceive us. And he obviously uh, uh, can't steal our salvation if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He can't, you can't lose that salvation, but you can certainly lose your testimony and lose your effectiveness and your power in your life as you walk your life and as you live on a regular basis. And so I think oftentimes the enemy wants to do that. He can't snatch you from the hand of God, but he can certainly ruin your life. And his goal is to kill, uh, kill and destroy everything that you love and everything that you are. He wants to ruin your family. He wants to ruin everything about you and about me and about the church. And he's going to do that through our mind as we looked at last week. Uh, And he wants to get us in the dark. He wants to confuse us and have us to bind to something that isn't completely true. And so we said at the very top of your outline, if you have your program, you can open it up. And uh, there's an outline to follow along. And uh, let's fill in the blanks and go through today's lesson. So here's what we said throughout the whole series. We said oftentimes we enter into the dangerous place and we know it. There's cones, there's fences, there's slippery when wet signs. And when we enter into those dangerous places, we're cautious. And as we're cautious, we tend to uh, be more careful and we end up not hurting ourselves or harming ourselves. And that's always a good thing to be in a place where you're not going to harm yourself. And then the second idea is what we said all along. The longer that we live in the danger zone, of self-deception, the more difficult it becomes to see the danger. And so someone will walk into our life and someone will say, hey, you know, if you keep doing and I'm really concerned about and you got to be careful and you're like, oh, no, no, it's, 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 not, it's not a big deal. It's not going to affect me. Because you, from a spiritual standpoint, you have blinders on. The enemy has blinded you to see the danger in which you are in. And then it goes on, and we talked about that, the, uh, that we believe that it won't harm us. The longer that we're in the dangerous uh, zone, the more we push back on it, the more we'll believe. You know what? It may affect 9 out of 10 people, but I'm the one that it won't. And we want to live and believe that we're the one, that we're above the average, that we're smarter, quicker, faster, whatever the case may be. And that isn't uh, necessarily the case. And then the last part of it is, the longer that we live in that danger zone, the more we're convinced that we're right. And that everybody else is wrong. And someone will come into our life and someone will say something and you're like, you know, you're just following that old ancient book. You know, you need to get into the 21st century, man. You need to step it up and recognize that times have changed and everything's different now. And so as a result, what happens? We have denial, we have doubt, and we have deception that's taking place. Now, the enemy loves for us to do life in the danger zone. You want to know why? Because you're one step, one decision, one movement from going over the edge. Right? And you ever talk to somebody, it's like, I don't know, I've been doing that for whatever, and then all of a sudden I found myself and I hit bottom. And it's like, well, 
Yeah, because at one moment, at one time, you had a warning to back up. You didn't pay any attention to it. People walked into your life and said, hey, be careful, cautious, you know, step back. You're in a, oh, no, it's not going to harm me. It's not going to affect me. I'm quicker, better. And then all of a sudden, that one day, that's that straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. What one day you made the decision, that one day you made the step, and right over the edge you went. And the enemy loves for us to do business on the edge. And God desires for us to step back so that we're not on the edge, so that we don't make the wrong decision. And even if we make the wrong decision, we just kind of go, whoop, whoop, still far from the edge. We don't go plunging over the side in our life. Okay? So, with that being said, I want to share with you today as we wrap up the series about God's power in our life. Again, this is a huge area uh, in our life that oftentimes as followers of Christ, we just don't feel like we have that power. We feel like we're kind of hitting and spitting and spurting along in our spiritual journey, and it doesn't feel like we have the power that pastors talk about or Bible study uh, leaders talk about in our life, and we wonder why. And I think this is one of the areas where the enemy loves for us to be deceived, to think that we don't have it, and he wants to confuse us on how to get it. So if you will, open up your programs and let's go on a journey. You ready? All right. Number one in your outline, here it is. Our Lord expects us to reign, okay? Or if the King James Version would be have dominion. Our Lord expects us to reign, not someday. Oftentimes believers will talk about, well, one day when we get into heaven, we're going to be perfect and we're not going to have any sin in our life and we're going to walk on the streets of gold. And all that's true. The problem is, is that if the Lord doesn't return like right now, right now, right now, we got to live here today. And how are we going to live today on this place called earth? As we look at hope in a couple of next week, right? Hope isn't about someday having eternal life and in glory. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But the reality is Sunday on Easter next week, Probably the majority of us are going to wake up Monday and we need hope to deal with this crazy world that we live in. Right? So, so we are to reign not someday, not in the future. Yes, that's true. But today, right now. And so I kind of ask you, are you reigning? Are, do you have dominion? Do you have God's power in your life today? Is it in your life? Look with me in your outline. The Lord did not create us to bring us in this world to be victims of Satan. For us to live crushed and defeated lives. And yet, sadly to say, I think that many of the believers, the followers of Christ, I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about believers, people who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that He died on a cross, that He rose again. Those folks, unfortunately, many of them live as victims in their life. And they have this, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have, they're certainly not ruling and they certainly don't have dominion in their life. So let's take a look at this and think this through and then we're going to jump in. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he lost dominion, right? And we are all one Adam and we are all from the one Adam. And Adam was a sinner, and guess what that makes you? Oh, good. That's right, that's why I like hanging out with you guys, right? 
So we're all sinners. So Adam sinned in the garden. He lost the dominion in which God had given him. And you see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our, uh, in our image, and in our, in our likeness, and let him rule, or if you have King James, it would say, have dominion, right? So initially, Adam was created to have dominion or rule. He lost it when he ate, and Eve ate of the fruit. They lost the dominion. So what was lost in the first Adam, in the garden, was regained in the second Adam, in Christ. Okay? And we sit here as followers of Jesus Christ, and we have the dominion through the power of Christ in our life. What was lost in Adam was regained in Jesus. Right? What was lost in the first Adam was regained in the second Adam. Okay? Now, the struggle that we often have in our life is we might have heard of that truth, but just because something is true, it will not set you free. Would you agree with that? Just because something is true, it will not necessarily set you free. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 31 in your outline, to the Jews... Um, who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teachings, you are, my, you are really my disciples. Verse 32, he says this, then you will, right? So truth in and of itself does not set you free. Now we all know that diets, vitamins, fruits and vegetables, donuts, Right? Yeah, right? So just because we know something, just because it's true doesn't necessarily mean that we actually know it. And so Jesus says, then you will know the truth and that truth will set you free. So it's embracing it into our life that we recognize it. So what was lost in the first Adam in the Garden of Eden was recaptured and regained in the second Adam in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 helps us understand that. It says, For if by the trespasses of one man, that would be Adam in the Garden of Eden, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive Christ's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in, what's the word? So it doesn't say future life, does it? It doesn't say eternal life. It doesn't say a life down the road. But it says in life right now. Through one man, Jesus Christ. So it is available for us to have dominion or to reign here on this earth. Not in a futuristic standpoint, but in uh, today's experience in our life. So then we back up and we ask the question, well, why is it that so many of us don't? And here's a reality I think that I want to kind of share with you. The enemy wants to keep us in darkness. Because if he can't pluck you from the hand of God, he can steal your testimony and render you, in a sense, useless. Right? And so he wants to, and I'm going to step back here. I don't know if I'll oh, change the lighting. Am I shaded? So the video is going to be going, where is that little guy? Here I am. He wants us to live in the shade. In the, in the fringes. Because we become less effective in our life. 
as believers in Jesus Christ. And he wants to keep us back and just hiding out, okay? So, in your, uh, in your, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to spend the, most of the time here. Luke chapter 7. Interesting verse. I'm going to point out where I think most people want to camp out, and I think they miss the bigger picture by camping out at an important part. It's kind of a cool spot, but I think they miss the bigger picture of, of it. Luke 7, and we're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered into Capernaum. Verse 2, there was a centurion's servant who the master had high value. So the, the centurion was a, was a military leader, had 100 people under him, okay? And he had a servant who he deeply cared about. He loved the guy. The guy apparently was a good guy, as we'll see in a moment. But he was sick, and he was close to dying. And so his leader, his, his master, was, was caring for him and cared about him. Verse 3, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him to ask him to come and to heal him. So the centurion would have probably been a Gentile, so he gets the religious leaders, the Jews, to go to Jesus hey, flag the guy down, I believe that he can heal him, I believe that he could touch him, and just bring him on back to me, and that will be a great thing. So the religious leaders go, they find Jesus, and they go to him, and they ask him to come back. And the reason why they want him to come back, in verse 5, it talks about the, the, the man who's sick, they said, hey, he loves our country, and he helped build a synagogue. So he's a good guy, everybody wants good people to live, right? I mean, so go get him, Jesus, bring him back in here, hey, let's go. It's all going to be good. Verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He follows the, guy, the guys back. And when he's on his way back to the house, he's a great distance away, uh, or not far from the house, rather, when, this, uh, when the centurions sent his friends to Jesus. And so he sends his buddies in the house. He says, hey, go intercept Jesus and tell him this. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Verse 7. That is why... I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So he didn't feel worthy to go to Jesus. He sent the religious leaders, bring them back. It goes on, it says, but say the word and my servant will be, will be healed. And here's what's interesting. When you look at a lot of commentaries, this is where everyone camps out at. They say, oh, this is a great part. I mean, this guy had such great faith that he just believed that Jesus could just speak the words and this guy would be healed. And that, that was true. That was an amazing amount of faith that this guy had, but that isn't, the, that isn't the principle in which we find. It's found in verse 8, where really it just kind of explodes into our life. And here's what verse 8 goes on, and it says. This is the centurion saying to Jesus, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes, and I tell this one to come, and he comes. I say to my servants, do this, and he does it. Verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Now just, just pause. He wasn't amazed that he said, just say the words and, and my servant will be healed. He was amazed that he understood that his power as a military leader did not come from him, but it came from above him. That he had a general, that he had an emperor, that he had a president, that he had someone who was over him. And when he was speaking to his servants, he wasn't speaking in his authority, but he was speaking from the authority from on high. There's an old economic thing about Reagan from that you know trickle down theory. 
So this is it. It's power from on high that trickles down into the life of the believer. Okay? And this is what wowed Jesus. Jesus was absolutely amazed. And he said, he was amazed at him. And he turned to the crowd following him. And he said, I tell you the truth. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Translation. You know, Abraham, you know, Isaac, you know, all the offsprings of them. Jesus is saying, all the guys that I hung out with, all the guys that I walked around with, all the religious leaders, none of them understood this principle that this military man understood. That his power doesn't come through his position. His power comes from on high and it comes through him. And so he can tell the, the, the hundred that's under his control, do this, do that. He can tell his servants, go here, go there. Because of the authority comes from on high and it comes down into his life. And Jesus goes, this guy gets it. Now there is a huge, huge spiritual lesson in this. That believers, and I think part of Satan kind of keeping us in the dark, where we don't recognize it. Our power comes from not ourself, but it comes from on high. God's desire for us to reign that was lost in the first Adam was regained in the second Adam. That that desire for, from God for us to reign, not in a futuristic standpoint, but in a current situation, comes from our position being under Christ or being under his umbrella in our life. If we step out, and we'll get into that in a minute, if we step out of the authority of Christ, we do not have that power because the power comes from on high and it flows in and through our life. And Jesus says, that guy gets it. That guy understands where his power is comes from number two in your outline our power to reign comes from being under jesus's power and authority and then right below it it says this we have to be under authority to have authority we have to be under authority to have authority if we step out of the authority of christ we do not have the power to have dominion and rule we are then embracing it on ourself and we have that self-power in our life. Okay? Back, back to verse, verse 8 there. He says, uh, the, the, the centurion servant says this, for I myself am a man under authority. So he recognizes that his power comes from who is above him. As believers, Jesus says, our power to reign on this earth doesn't come through ourself. It comes when we're under the authority of Christ because what was lost in the first Adam was given to Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And that power flows from him in and through us in our life. Are we tracking? Okay. In Matthew chapter, um, let, let me just say this, that oftentimes in churches, um, people think of church as being kind of like a corporation. You know, you got a president, a CEO, and that kind of stuff. And we think of it like Jesus is the president. But, but actually, the, the Bible talks about the church being a body. Okay? And who is the head? 
Christ is the head, right? So Jesus is the head. We are the arms and legs and feet and so forth. And it flows from a, on the head down into the body. Okay, and I think that's a great visual for us to. If we kind of take off the head of Christ and park him here and we run around headless, we don't have his power. Okay, and some of us are doing that. Right, we're running around like a chicken with our, right? That's a great visual, I just thought of that. I'm going to write that down, let me. uh... Matthew chapter 28, great verse, here's what it says. Uh, Verse 18, then Jesus came to them, so he's getting ready to depart, and he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What was lost in the first Adam was given to Christ and regained in Christ. Verse 19, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I will leave you hanging at any moment. No? All right. Some of you are like, I know that guy's dyslexic, but where did he get that at? Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What was lost in the first Adam was given to Christ. The authority that Christ had, he passes on to the body of Christ as we're under the authority of him. His power flows from above and it flows in and through us. God's desire is for us to reign, and it rain, we reign when we're under the authority of Christ. If we step out of that, then we don't have the authority in our life. Number three, the third thing is that our power and authority are interlocked with faith and obedience to Christ. Our power and authority is, are interlocked with, with faith and obedience to Christ, okay? Now let me share with you a couple verses, uh, just some, some ideas in here, and you can go home and spend some time reading. All of these are connected to obedience. Blessings, saved, watched over, taken care of, helped, perfect freedom, greater wisdom, security, peace, prosperity, and success. All of those are connected to obedience, God's power to reign is under Christ and it is connected to our obedience to Christ. Are we following? Not 85%. Not 96%. 100% of what you currently know in your spiritual walk today. So you think about that. Oftentimes people say, oh, I want to grow spiritually. It's like, really? You sure? You'll be held to a higher standard. Oh, no, I just want to stay dumb right here. I just <laughs> so where you're at spiritually, you need to be at that level of obedience in your life. Okay? You may not know all the different, uh, you know, different theological positions and so forth, but you are held to the account- accountability to, to where you are currently in your life any form of disobedience is disobedience okay you can rationalize justify you can spin it any which way you want to spin it but the reality is it's disobedience and as you trust you obey for there's no other way right 
to be, so as we, as we walk, we trust and obey in our walk with Christ. So let me share with you a couple thoughts here as we wrap this thing up and have the Lord's Supper. So how do you receive the power and authority in your life? Number one, you obey God when it's convenient. No? What's the word? Right. No delay, no wait. I don't want to hear about procrastination. Don't put it off. No excuses. You need to do it now. You need to be obedient and you need to do it now. If you are not obedient and you do not do it now, you move under the authority of Christ, you lose the power to reign in your life. It's that simple. You step down into the down underneath the authority, the umbrella of Christ, you're on your own. And so you can spin it whichever way you want to spin it, but that's a reality. In Psalms 119, verse 32, he says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. So verse 60 says, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. That we need to be obedient to the commands that we currently know in our life. So oftentimes believers will say, well, I, you know, and they talk about, you know, someday when I grow and this concept. And that, Listen, just do what you know you need to do today. Right? So oftentimes we want to skirt what we're supposed to do today and talk about one day down the road. No, no, just be obedient today to the Lord that you currently know in your spiritual walk. So when I talk to new believers, I oftentimes like to use the analogy of my relationship with my parents to my relationship with God. See, if this, none of, this doesn't apply to any of you because all of you guys were perfect children. Okay? So when I was a, a young lad, how many of you remember Pong? Yeah, right? Remember? Woohoo! Pong. 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 And then, and then you could speed it up. Huh? Pong. Pong. And then it would hit that trippy, tri uh, tricky bounce. Bing, bing, bing. Whoa, where are we going with this one, right? It's kind of funny. So when, when me and um, Ben Franklin and Tom Edison, we were out <laughs> flying our kite, playing Pong. Uh, <laughs> so so here, here's the way it would play out at my house, right? I, they call, my mom called me Danny, and she was the ruler of the house. And anyway, so that was the way that thing played out. So she'd walk in a room and a bonk, bonk, right? You know that? Hey, uh, you need to take out the garbage and mow the lawn and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I would lose. I'd throw my paddles down. And I would storm out of the house and go to my friend's house and go play basketball or terrorize the neighborhood or whatever. So my mom would have a conversation with me. And it would be something like this. Did you hear me? When did you talk to me? When you were in that room. Right? There was a beep room. Right? I, did, I, I, I didn't hear you. Well, you said, mm-hmm. Well, I didn't hear you. Right? We do that with God, don't we? Our minds are preoccupied. And God pays us a little visit in a worship service or in a song or on a way home from work. And God gives a little bit up. Hey, Danny. Mm-hmm. And then he circles back around. Didn't I tell you? 
when we do that. Here's another thing I would do with my mom. My mom would storm in the room, and she, she's wonderful. She, she, she would come in, and she'd be talking to me, and I'd look at her, and I'd say, are you, are you talking to me? <laughs> right? And then she'd say, no, you smart person, right? <laughs> Who else is in this room? Right? Like, I guess that would mean me, right? I, I tell you, I'm pretty smart, right? And so, and, and we do that with God, don't we? God, God comes to us, again, in a service, in a song, in a Bible study, in a community group, and he, and he talks to us, and, and we go, are, are you talking to us? You know, I really wish, oh, so-and-so was in service today because he really needs to hear this message, <laughs> right? And we do the same thing. And then we leave, and we wonder why that we're not experiencing God's power in our life. We have the power to reign. It was given to Christ. We're the body of Christ. He's the head. But when we step out of the authority of Christ, we're disobedient. And you can say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Maybe you aren't. But any disobedience is disobedience. And when we step out of it, we begin to short-circuit the power in which God wants to work in our life. And so we need to be obedient immediately. Number two, we need to be obedient completely. Completely. Even in the principles that we don't like. Verse four, for you have laid down the precepts that are to be negotiated. Is that what it says? Fully obeyed even the ones that we have a difficult time grasping. See, here's what the enemy wants to, and I think if anything has attacked the 21st century church, it's this. The church has reached out into the world, and I said this in week one, they've reached out into the world, and when the church reaches out and embraces the values of the world and brings it in to be the values in which we govern our life, we are putting ourselves in a very dangerous position and sure it may not harm you yet but you are dancing on the edge of the cliff and one wrong choice one wrong decision one wrong step over the side you go and so he loves the enemy loves when the church brings in the principles of the world of the culture to bring it into the context of the body of christ and then we say, it's the 21st century, and that's an old thing, and all this other stuff. You know, in the Ten Commandments, it says, do not lie. I think, you know, most of our kids are in the back or in the youth area. I'm pretty sure that most of us would agree that we don't like our kids lying. We don't dig it when our spouse lies. And God said a couple, 4,000 years ago, hey, not a good idea. Still true today, right? Thieves, like it? No, you don't like it. But somehow we want to say, well, you know, that isn't, but it is. And when, we, and when we don't obey it completely, again, we're stepping out of the authority of Christ and we begin to do our life in our own way. There's a couple truths I want to give you as we prepare our hearts. Here it is. God's ways of right and wrong have never changed and they will never change. And here's the good news and the bad news for some. 
And in the kingdom of heaven, His rules will still be the same. The second idea is this. God has a bigger uh, uh, perspective than you. You know, we look at life in a very small area. And oftentimes in our life, God says, hey, you need to, Dan, you need to do. It's like, ah, no, 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 I, I mean, I got it all dialed in, God, and I'm looking right here. And God's like, excuse me, you know, you don't even know what you're going to eat for dinner tonight. And I already got you figured out forever long it's going to be. Okay, I got you figured out. I got it handled. You just need to step and walk in obedience. Fully and completely in our life. And the enemy wants to, in your outline as we looked at last week, <clears throat> Satan wants to deceive us, and he did it the same way that he did with Adam and Eve. He wants us to doubt, he wants us to be in denial, and he wants us to experience deception in our life and be deceived. Deceived. It's the same pattern. He does it time and time again. Never changes. He wants us to be back in the in the darkness, in the shadows, and miss it. And here's the thing, and I want to just kind of just bring it back to Christ wants you to reign. You reign by being under the authority of Christ. That power is flowing from the head, the, uh, the head of Christ into your life by faith and obedience. Not partial faith, complete. Not down the road uh, obedience, but completely, immediately, right now. And when you walk in that light, you will experience the power from heaven in and through your life as you walk. Let me read this last verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Very famous Old Testament verse. Trust in the Lord with your heart and lean not. Okay, That word is like this. If I were to lean and literally lift myself up, and have this podium hold me. That's what that word means. To put everything in you and on you. And just lay on something. Lean on. Okay, now look what it says. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not. Don't let it prop you up. Don't let it hold you up. Don't let it make your decision. Lean not on your own understanding. Just in case you got a little confused. Verse 6. In all your ways... Every area of your life, not just your Sunday morning decisions. Every area of your life, in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Which means to embrace, to be obedient, to do as He says. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And then here's the promise. And He will make your paths straight. It's complete obedience. It's, uh, 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 it's, it's being obedient immediately. And so again, we are to reign on this earth as we get under the authority of Christ because that's where the power comes down. And when we step out and we're disobedient, we break the link. It's complete. It's immediate in our life. If we step out, we miss it. And oftentimes, believers just don't see that. And you talk to them and they spin it a hundred different ways and they rationalize and justify and make excuses and all this other stuff. And folks, the reality is that 1% error is all the enemy is looking for. 
1% error. And the moment that we do, we step out. And then we wonder, as someone reads about the power of the resurrection, and that's the power that Christ in you through the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and you scratch your head, be honest, you scratch your head and you go, man, I don't feel anything like that. I don't feel any of that power in my life. And we miss it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare for the Lord's Supper.